I love to listen to my radio. See how it thrills me when I hear it go. Good morning, kiddies. That's when I think of you. When shadows fall at the close of the day, I turn on the switch and it starts into play. Hi again, group, and welcome into the October 14th edition, that's 2023, of course, of Radio Yesteryear. Well, up here in the Great White North, we're just recovering from Thanksgiving, and uh, that means we're going to start wishing that we were in the South in six weeks. Oh, well, enough of dreaming. Let's look at the program for tonight. Remember the saying, clothes make the man? Well, this time, clothes make the program. We're going to have a musical look at the fashions of the 60s. Some of us remember them, and some of us may even still have a few of them in our closets. A few of us might even still wear them. And not being a clothes-type person, I wasn't too interested, but reminiscing might be good. And the other part of it is, if you're not a clothes person, the music will be good. We'll be covering a lot of uh, the songs and such from that era. You'll like at least some of it, I guarantee it. This is from ABC. In this case, that means the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. But don't get too worried. There's a little Aussie speak, but not that much. You can handle it. Around Australia on ABC Radio, this is Bob Hudson with the sounds of the 60s and our special tonight, our regular Saturday night, late night musical special. Well, there's always something special, there's always something different, not, you know what I mean, um, is on clothes. Uh, I, uh, my producer, uh, Alison White, and I were tossing up just how to present this theme to you tonight. We thought, now, will we go, for example, in chronological order and um, start with hoop petticoats and um, uh, peg pants and work our way perhaps through miniskirts and uh, then uh, down to be, uh, end up end up with the bell bottoms, um, but we thought no, that everyone that that's the first thing you'd think of, isn't it? That that's just too tawdry and cliched a way to approach such a vital subject as the fashion garments of the 1960s, as immortalised in the songs of the era. So what we're going to do instead is start from the top of the head and work down.
From top to toe we go tonight with the fashions of the 60s in song. Brand new leopard skin pillbox hat from Bob Dylan. And that was a style that you can picture the look, can't you? Jackie Kennedy used to wear hats like that, little, little sort of square things. And I think probably um, Audrey Hepburn would have uh, back then as well. Uh, usually with uh, an elegant little black dress and some pearls perhaps which reminds me that uh, once again when we were setting ourselves parameters for this program we thought to ourselves now are we going to not just include clothes but branch out into accessories and uh, we are talking about the 60s it was uh, the generation when the accessories really came into their own. You've just had to have accessories that matched, you know, plastic clunky stuff to hang on yourself. So, yes, accessories tonight are getting a run. Gene Pitney. There's a story the gypsies know is true that when your love wears golden earrings she belongs to Inside your soul So be 
great voice and uh, he's a good songwriter too, Jane Pitney. Wrote some terrific stuff. Golden earrings. Um, fitting the fashion theme quite nicely tonight. I'm going to just slip back into the 1950s because in the very, very I have a personal nostalgic reason for this because in the, the very, very late 1950s I was um, an extremely young teenager. Was I still a teenager then? I mean, was I a teenager then by then? Possibly. I'd have to count on my fingers. Yes, only just. Only just at the end of the 1950s. And um, I can remember my first pair of long pants, which I uh, inherited from my cousin, who was a bodgie. A genu- well, I, I took him for a bodgie anyhow. He, he um, uh, had a sort of a, a ducktail haircut and side levers, and um, he wore peg pants. And... Um, I inherited an old pair of his peg pants. Oh, I hero worshipped him. What a wonderful fellow. Um, and these pants, they were bottle green with silver fleck all the way through them. Remember that? Remember f- the fleck look? Oh, it was terrific. And, and they went absolutely superbly, I remember at the time, with an orange jumper that strangely enough also had silver fleck and black piping. I was a discreet young teenager. I really was. I was just so suave. Um, and these pants were pegged, which meant that you, you took the legs in uh, as tightly as you possibly could. You, you certainly couldn't keep your shoes on to put them on or anything like that. That was all. My, my dad's argument was always that a pair of pants wasn't a pair of pants unless you could put them on with your shoes still on. And um, we had a few disagreements um, about that back in those days, particularly when he saw the pair of trousers that my cousin had passed on to me. But um, what was really cute about them, I think, was that they were, they were pegged up to the pockets. You couldn't very well peg the pockets because you also had to walk around with your hands in your pockets. And so they tended to look more like jodfers than anything else. You had this really stovepipe look to just above the knees and then they, then they billowed out. And, of course, that was where you kept your wallet and your keys. And your keys were frequently then on a keychain. Remember the keychain? And you um, tied the, the, the little leather loop at one end of the keychain onto the uh, button on the top of your trousers and then the keychain went and disappeared into your pocket. Now, this usually made it absolutely impossible to open the door when you got home because the chain wasn't long enough and you had to take your trousers off to do it. But uh, it was a great look. It was a wonderful fashion and... Um, it was the sort of outfit that if only you had, say, a white sports coat and a pink carnation, you would have looked absolutely ace. Oh, 
Sorry, the, the, the pedants always um, pick you up on that. It's a sport coat, not a sports coat. And of incarnation, Marty Robbins from the, the late 1950s when the whole world had nothing to, better to do but get dressed ready for the 60s. This is Bob Hudson, Round Australia on ABC Radio. We're playing the songs of the 60s and, well, more or less, and tonight, fashion, clothes, songs of the era about the clothes of the era, or in some instances, about the very fabrics.
think we're going to miss out any important garments of the 50s and 60s tonight. Remember this one from Brian Highland. She was afraid to come out of the locker. She was as nervous as she could be. She was afraid to come out of the locker. She was afraid that somebody would say, Two, three, four, tell the people what she wore. It was an itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini that she wore for the first time today. An itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini. So in the locker she wanted to stay. Two, three, four, stick around, we'll tell you more. Bop, bop, she was afraid to come out in the open And so a blanket around her she wore She was afraid to come out in the open And so she sat bundled up on the shore Two, three, four, tell the people what she wore It was an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, yellow polka dot bikini That she wore for the first time today Now she's afraid to come out of the water And I wonder what she's gonna do Now she's afraid to come out of the water And the poor little girl's turning blue Tell the people what she wore. It was an itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini that she wore for the first time today. An itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini. So in the water she wanted to stay. From the locker to the blanket. From the blanket to the shore. Yes, there isn't any more. Brian Harland, itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini. Mm, it was a, uh, an absolute killer, that. Uh, a biggie in its day. And I seem to remember, actually, an answer song, which was sung, I can't remember who did it now, it'll come back to me eventually, sung by the girl who wore the itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini. And... It was called, I wore an itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini. The absolutely spectacular fashions of the 60s. I went to a 60s party recently and um, 
it was really lovely because it was like a, a big corporate thing and people had rented costumes and all sorts of things. And it was very impressive to see that whole range of outfits from those lovely um, spangly ball frocks and party frocks of the era right through to really bright check plastic outfits with big matching hats. The 60s was a wonderful era to get dressed in. This is Bob Hudson, Round Australia, on ABC Radio. The time's half past 11. And let me take you now to, I guess, my all-time favourite 60s song about clothes. Um, the most wonderful thing that a girl could do for a bloke back then, as a token of her undying love, was to knit him a jumper. And... I guess the most beautiful thing that uh, the chap in question could do to show his affection for the young lady and his appreciation of the jumper was to write and or sing a song about it. This is a boy called uh, Jess Conrad and the song is about his jumper. Soft and warming, like your love for me. It was made, dear, like you were made for me. This pullover, I find very smart. For it tells me that we will never part. Don't you worry, my little sweetheart. Just like you, dear, it's closest to my heart. When I touch it, I can see you clearly When I clutch it, I can feel you near me When I'm lonely, I simply wrap it round me And I feel I'm holding you so tight, so tight This pullover that you gave to me I'll keep wearing until eternity Soft and warming, it will always be like the true love you'll always give to me When I touch it I can see you clearly when I clutch it, I can feel you near me. When I'm lonely, I simply wrap it round me. And I feel I'm holding you so tight, so tight. This pullover that you gave to me, I'll keep wearing until eternity. Soft and warm, it will always be. Like the true love you'll always give to me Like the true love you'll always give to me Like the true love Sometimes when I listen to that song I, I get the feeling that perhaps he liked the jumper even better than the person who knitted it for him. He's 
got that funny attitude, hasn't he? Jess Conrad, this pullover. But it's the sort of song, isn't it, that really, now be honest, isn't that the sort of song that makes you want to know more about it? Because he doesn't really go into any description. That's that's what I really was busting to know. You know, was it cashmere? Was it fisherman's knit? Was it a bulky knit? Remember bulky knits? They were pretty good. I guess they're probably still around. I remember seeing... Um, Edna Everidge on one of her television specials. Um, Edna Everidge, I don't want to shatter too many illusions, but is in fact a man called Barry Humphreys who dresses up in women's clothes. Uh, but Edna Everidge was interviewing Roger Moore, um, who's a, a wonderful character, but she actually embarrassed him a bit because um, the research department had managed to find an old book of knitting patterns from when Roger was a young model and there was Roger on page 53 with pattern number 57 modelling uh, the jumper of the day in bright yellow, as I recall, um, being being a knitwear model in a catalogue. And I think that um, in the world of uh, high fashion modelling, there is a pecking order. And, um, you know, I think the cover of major glossy magazines is the top of the pecking order. And I have a strong suspicion that... Perhaps uh, not counting footballers who do um, TV commercials for uh, menswear stores, I think perhaps the bottom of the food chain there is uh, the knitting catalogue. Although I'm sure that there's some very, very lovely people model for knitting catalogues. I just don't think many of them go on to grow up to be Roger Moore. Anyhow, we're uh, dressing up in our 60s clothes tonight and... Look, here is a fantastic... This is Mr. Rockabilly Eddie Cochran. It's not a really well-known Eddie Cochran song, but you are going to love it.
they're terrific. Eddie Cochran, pink slacks. Uh, chaps tended to sing about their trousers a lot back in the 60s and the late 50s for reasons that I don't understand. Um, Eddie uh, was not alone there. I've got another one about uh, trousers coming. In fact, a few about trousers. We, we could, we, 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 we've got down to that level, in fact, that we'll be spending the rest of the night on uh, trousers and footwear because in our quest for songs about the fashions of the 60s, we've been going tonight from top to toe and we're on our way heading right for the bottom. Um, here's um, a group called the Sparkle Tones. They um, were rather uh, specialists in songs about clothes. They uh, wrote a few, and this was one of their great ones. <laughs> to them in a minute because they did another very cute one about clothes but um here is uh, another track so much music to play and so little time this is really the most enigmatic of the fashion songs of the late 50s and 60s because um i remember uh, when short shorts i they, it was probably the first time they came in it would have been um yeah late 50s into the early 60s and um, you know the sort of shorts that um, these days usually are, uh, are, in, are worn by people in shopping centres on Saturday mornings and they're frequently made out of terry towel and uh, frequently the people wearing them are a bit overweight and they're riding on the escalator in front of you and it rather tends to spoil the nostalgic mood that can be created if you listen to this 
defiant hymn to that glorious early 60s fashion item by the Royal Teens. Mm, man, dig that crazy chick. Those lyrics, I'm the first to admit, don't explore the subject terribly much. But uh, evocative all the same. The royal teens and short shorts. Who wears short shorts? We wear short shorts. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. This is Bob Hudson on ABC Radio around Australia. And uh, tonight we're dressed up in 60s clothes, the fashions of the 1960s. And the late 1950s, as I uh, pointed out before... Uh, the, the late 1950s were when fashion boomed. Remember when colours were very important. I mean, these days, I think the fashion industry tries. They'll they'll fill a window up with green or something like that and try and kid you that it's the colour of the year. But basically, people don't care. You know, you, you don't go to work or down the street and find half the people there wearing the same colour, really. Um, unless you work in the army or something like that, I suppose. But um, in the 50s and 60s, if a, a colour was in, well, everyone seemed to wear it. I remember when black and pink 
were very fashionable. Black with pink accessories for blokes usually, like a, like a black sports jacket and a, a thin pink tie was uh, very popular. Nothing sissy about that. It was, uh, and it was uh, quite a pale pink. And pink jumpers with, uh, with black slacks underneath. Oh, yes, black and pink was a big combination. I remember actually painting my push bike black with pink trim, you know, on those little raised up bits on the Malvern Star where, where the um, tubes all joined together. They were pink and the rest was black. And um, black jeans, before blue jeans were fashionable, um, pants were made out of denim, but they were black. Uh, I can remember black jeans being in long before they brought in these blue ones, but they, did, they didn't call them jeans. They called them black denim trousers, and they were sometimes worn by people who lived disreputable, dangerous lives. boots from the cheers not just a great uh... well shall we crawl up from down under back into North America back into suburbia where the Baxters dwell and as is fairly typical for most small couples and families thereof it's time to have a small dinner party well here's how this one goes It's not nice to eavesdrop, but it's fun. So let's check in on the comedy of errors at the Baxters. On the little things in life, 
Brought to you by Ban Rolon, America's leading roll-on antiperspirant. find the crossword puzzle in the paper tonight. I suppose Aunt Maggie took it. I don't know, dear. Maybe. She went up to her room right after dinner. Said she had a headache. Oh, that's too bad. Well, it's not here. It says crossword puzzle page 27, and page 27 isn't here. Why don't we give a party for Aunt Maggie? We haven't, you know, ever since she's been here. Well, she's going to be with us until after Christmas. She's bound to see all our friends. We'll have Christmas parties, I suppose. Well, that's over a month away. I just met a small party, a few people in for, you know, buffet suppers. Ah, I hate buffet suppers. I like to sit down to a table. Where's the back section of the paper? Mm, It's on the footstool over there. All right, we'll have a sit-down dinner then. We can seat eight very comfortably. Ten is a bit tight, and twelve is really too much. What do you think? Listen, I, I don't care. You're the one who has all the work. If you want to have some people in for dinner, it's okay with me. Well, let's see who we have. We have to ask Evie and Fred. And if I ask Evie, then I better ask Elaine and Carl. And Aunt Megan will ask Maynard Blake. Well, with us, that's eight already. Well, that's enough, isn't it? Well, we owe Stan and Eda. We'll have to ask them. We also owe Jean and John O'Brien. You know, I'm just ashamed we haven't had them over. All the times we've been at their house. Mm. Oh, we haven't been over there so much. Well, after parties we have. We have to ask Fan Manny. Hey, wait a minute. I thought this was going to be a small dinner party. Well, I'll set up card tables. Don't worry. It won't be buffet, so you have to put your plate on your knees. Uh, put Harvey and Ruth down. We owe them. We don't owe them anything. Ruth never invites us. We were over at their house last spring. Are you by any chance referring to that picnic they had in June to which we were invited along with about 200 others? All the people they've owed probably since they got married. Oh, we've given big parties to take care of some of our obligations. Right, and we learned early to give it up. Those parties are a big expense. Nobody knows anybody else, and certainly nobody has any real fun. I don't think we have much real fun at parties anyway. You must. You never want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, look here, I, I work with Harvey. Just because you don't like Ruth. I don't like Harvey. Or Ruth. They both tell dirty stories. Oh, some of Harvey's are pretty funny. <laughs> I never heard him tell one that was funny, never. And Ruth is worse than he is. And that terrible, raucous laugh she has yes, yes. awful. Ooh. I'll admit, Ruth is kind of a pain in the neck. Well, she's worse than that, and I'm not going to have her around telling stories like that in front of Aunt Maggie. Oh, 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 I know. It was loads of fun. What? Ken and Ginny. Ken is marvelous. Uh, yeah, I've noticed you think so. Oh, it's just that he plays the piano. Constantly. Well, it's good to have somebody at a party who plays the piano so everyone can sing. Who sings when Ken plays the piano? Nobody can sing. He never plays any songs. He's always banging away with some fancy arrangement, sweeping his fingers up and down the keyboard, and then those great crashing chords all over the place. Ken studied in Europe. Studied mm-hmm. what? You know, I think you're a weensy bit jealous. Oh, no, I'm not jealous at all. It's just that nobody can hear themselves think when he sits down at the piano. He plays so loud you can't talk. All right, I'll tell him to tone it down. Can I ask them? You like Jenny. She's such a nice person, and she is crazy about you. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, okay, okay. But if, if you ask Ken and Jenny, you'll have to ask Bill and Carla, too, you know? Why? They certainly don't add anything to a party. I know, I know. They both get just absolutely plastered and pass out, and then somebody has to lug them home. I'm tired of people who drink too much. Well, just the same, we met Ken and Ginny through Bill and Carla, and they are very close friends. All right, all right, all right. 
Oh, what's the matter with us, Trudy and Dave? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hope Dave is not a town on business. Yeah. He always is. I know. You know, we owe the Hendersons. We re- and the Blaney's. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what about the Bollingers? Mm. We've been there twice and haven't asked them back. And if we're asking Ken and Ginny, we'll have to ask the Feinsteins, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Paul's cute. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't use that word cute so much. That and somebody is just darling and something is fantastic. All right, then you stop saying you know. You know, you know, all the time. Yeah. Well, let's not get on English usage. We're planning a party that stick to the subject. You know? <laughs> How many people have we got here? Well, you figure it out. I want my crossword puzzle. I want to see if Aunt Maggie has it. All right, all right, dear. Honestly, you start out planning a small dinner party, you wind up having to hire a caterer. Now, let's see. Hurry back down, dear, so we can plan this. Getting a little out of hand. Thirty-two people? Yeah, How did you get thirty-two? This started out to be a small dinner party for eight or ten, a sit-down dinner. With thirty-two people, it'll be a buffet with those dinky tables, and you'll certainly need some help. I know, I know. That's just what I said before you went upstairs. Aunt Maggie's lying there snoring, but she's still hanging on to the crossword puzzle for dear life, so I didn't want to take it out of her hand. How, how did you get 32 people? Well, I thought if the party's getting so big, we might as well ask some others. The John Antonys, we owe them. And yeah, that's the, you good. Know. John can sing while Ken plays. Yeah. At least we'll have somebody here with a decent voice. Your friend Evie can't even carry a tune, but she always sings louder than anybody else. Why do you always pick on my friends? I adore Evie. Well, I adore her, too. But let's face it, she cannot sing. At a party, it doesn't matter. The idea is to have fun. And some of your friends are so drunk they can't sing either. Look, for once, why don't we have a party and not serve any liquor? Well, how do you do that? At a party in this day and age? Let's start our list over. Now, we'll just invite our friends who don't drink. Okay. Who are they? Well, uh... Okay, let's get back to the list. Well, if you ask me, I think that's an excellent idea. Where'd you come from? I thought you were upstairs studying for a test. Why don't you give a party and not serve anything to drink? Debbie, uh, our friends are just social drinkers. Do you realize what the statistics are on your generation of so-called social drinkers? Do you know what the statistics are on your generation? My generation? That is, those who drink have been influenced by their parents who sit and guzzle night after night. Debbie, go study for your test. Your father and I do not guzzle night after night, as you put it. Do you see us? No, we have a drink or two at a party. Right, right, right. Well, plenty of your friends certainly pour it down. And I think you had a good idea, Mother. Give a party without liquor. How'd you hear all this? I was coming down the stairs to get some lemonade. Which is bad for your teeth. You drink that entirely too much and all those other sweet things. It's not as bad as alcohol. Do you know that every drink destroys another brain cell? Well, some of the people we know didn't have too many to begin with anyway. Such as your father's friend, Harvey. Harvey happens to be a brilliant engineer. Brilliant. Well, unfortunately, I haven't had occasion to see that side of him. He drinks like a fish, tells awful stories, and I'm crossing him off the list. I just am. Now, why are you allowing our daughter to influence our guest list? Do you really like Harvey and Ruth? Uh, no. Mm. But I worked with him. He's all right during the daytime. Well, we can't give our party at 10 in the morning just so Harvey and Ruth and Bill and Carl and a few others will stay sober. Yeah, that's true. 
So, let's not give the party. No, just do what Mom said. Give a party without liquor. Why don't we? Look, we could have wine, champagne. Champagne? Yes, yeah, for... Is that uh, $20, $20 a bottle? Oh, domestic champagne isn't that much. What well, are you now, talking about? Well, wait a minute. There are a lot of people who don't like champagne. Well, then they won't drink it. It'll save us some money. All right, All right we'll just have some sherry, maybe some Chablis or Rhine wine. Well, why do you have to even have wine? Debbie... Even in the Bible, it's mentioned wine. Well, do as you like, which you're going to do anyway. But it's no wonder my generation is having such a terrible time. She is right. She is right. She is right. No, you only you know? say that because we don't care whether we drink or not. Well, our friends do. Somebody has to set a good example. We are going to have a party for the first time without liquor. Uh, uh, well, you going to tell them that when you invite them, huh? No. Isn't that a sad travesty? I mean, a really a sad comment on our generation. Oh, it's certainly going to be a smashing party. Well, at least nobody will be smashed. We'll play games. How about charades? Or let's make it a costume party. Something. Look, people must have had fun at parties when they didn't drink. Fine. But what do I say when Harvey or Bill says, where's the booze? Oh, I hate that word. Just say, here's some tomato juice or here's a glass of white wine. Look, let's try it. Okay, but not this Friday. Let's wait till Christmas time and have our big party then. You mean so they're lit before they even show up? I don't know, but let's wait. After all, we don't want two crowds of people in one week. Anyhow. What are the two crowds? Well, all the family here for Thanksgiving. That's next week. I know when Thanksgiving is, and it was decided that the whole family, the whole 26, are going to be at your mother's. Oh, no, no, no. My sister what? found me last week and said to expect them as usual. And that... Oh, oh no, boy, look, here we go. I told, your I told your sister and her husband that lazy, good-for-nothing... Do you think all antiperspirants are basically the same? Well, ban roll-on antiperspirant may just change your mind. Take effectiveness, for instance. Tests have shown that Ban Roll-On Antiperspirant will actually help stop wetness better than most leading sprays. Make your own test soon. Pick up a bottle of Ban Roll-On, and you may discover what we've shown in tests. Ban Roll-On Antiperspirant, proof that not all antiperspirants are created equal. I sweep my floor and I still hear sugar underfoot. I hate that straw broom. That's the kind of dirt straw brooms miss. But an Ocedar angler broom would get it. Angler bristles are cut on an angle to keep more tips on the floor, and the tips are closer together. Ocedar angler gets the dirt other brooms miss. Ocedar makes your life easier. What do you hear from your floor? Not a sound. Ocedar makes your life easier. The Little Things in Life, created by Peg Lynch, has been brought to you by the O-Cedar Angler Broom. It gets the dirt other brooms miss. This program comes to you from the Radio Playhouse. Well, Daniel's here. He's very quiet. In fact, he doesn't look too well. Looks like he's been in a fight, actually. His face is a mess. It's swollen and bruised. and So I asked him. He said, really, it was very simple. I just went to the dentist to have a cleaning and usual checkup. And my dentist is a very easygoing, gentle guy, so I wasn't expecting anything. But he had just won Dentist of the Year. He was pretty excited over it. But just before I came in, they gave him his award.
he already had a place set up for a small trophy. But instead of a trophy, all he got was a little plaque. Senator Collins, thanks for coming in. It's a great pleasure, thank you. This ship that was involved in the incident off Western Australia this week... Yeah, the one the front if... fell off? Yeah. Yeah, that's not very typical. I'd like to make that point. Well, how is it untypical? Well, there are a lot of these ships going around the world all the time, and very seldom does anything like this happen. I just don't want people thinking that tankers aren't safe. Was this tanker safe? Well, I was thinking more about the other ones. The ones that are safe? Yeah, the ones the front doesn't fall off. Well, if this wasn't safe, why did it have 80,000 tonnes of oil on it? Well, I'm not saying it wasn't safe. It's just perhaps not quite as safe as some of the other ones. Why? Well, some of them are built so the front doesn't fall off at all. Well, wasn't this built so the front wouldn't fall off? Well, obviously not. How do you know? Well, because the front fell off and 20,000 tonnes of crude oil spilled into the sea caught fire. It's a bit of a giveaway. I just like to make the point that that is not normal. Well, what sort of standards are these uh, oil tankers built to? Oh, very rigorous maritime engineering standards. What sort of thing? Well, the front's not supposed to fall off for a start. And what other things? Well, there are uh, regulations governing the uh, materials that they can be made of. What materials? Well, cardboard's out. And? No cardboard derivatives. Like paper? No paper. No string, no sellotape. Rubber? No, rubber's out. Um, they've got to have a steering wheel. There's a minimum crew requirement. What's the minimum crew? Oh, one, I suppose. So the allegations that they're just designed to carry as much oil as possible uh, oh, and all the consequences, I mean, that's ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. These are very, very strong vessels. So what happened in this case? Well, the front fell off in this case by all means, but it's very unusual. But Senator Collins, why did the front book fall off? Well, a wave hit it. A wave hit it? A wave hit the ship. Is that unusual? Oh, yeah. At sea chance in a million. So what do you do to protect the environment in cases well, like this? Well, the though? ship was towed outside the environment. Into another environment? No, no, no. It's been towed beyond the environment. It's yes, not in the environment. A... No, but from one environment to another environment. No, it's beyond the environment. It's not in an environment. It well, has it been be towed somewhere. beyond the environment. Well, what's out there? Nothing's out there. Well, there must be something there out there. There is nothing out there. All there is is sea and birds and fish. And? And 20,000 tonnes of crude oil. And what else? And a fire. And anything else? And the part of the ship that the front fell off. But there's nothing else out there. Senator Collins, thanks it's for joining us. a complete us. void. Yeah, we're out of time. The environment's perfectly safe. We're out of time? Yeah. Can you book me a cab? But didn't you come in a Commonwealth car? Yes, I did. But what happened? Well, the front fell off. Well, time for the two of us to go. Leaving Daniel to wonder if his gentle dentist will recover from his temper tantrum. Well, the front fell off. And whether Daniel will recover from his bruises. We'll find out next time. In the meantime, as usual, you all know what's coming. It's good listening, good night, good luck, and for now, goodbye. I love to listen to my radio. Gee, how it thrills me when I hear it go. <coughs> Someday you'll hear it too.